millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. My name is Christopher Harris. We're joined on the panel today by Kartik Krishnayer and Kyle Fansler. So here at World Soccer Talk, oh my gosh, it's been a crazy couple of weeks actually, well, a week since the last podcast. Uh, I think all of us are hardcore soccer fans, as you are the listeners, and we have to start off with uh, what happened on Thursday. We're recording this on Friday. We know that uh, a lot of you, the listeners, probably won't get a chance to listen to this until the weekend or or early next week, so we're probably not going to talk a lot about Championship Sunday. Uh, Of course, there's a lot of other things going on in uh, world football, but let's start on um, from Thursday night, Thursday evening. Kyle, what was your your take on what happened at Goodison Park? It was crazy to say the least. Uh, obviously, Everton, you know, their their relegation battle was something that the fans had no interest in taking part in, and the emotions that they had from escaping relegation, uh, ensuring safety in the Premier League. They boiled over and the fans rushed onto the field after the game. It's a trend that we've seen happening this season especially. I don't know if that's because people were missing out on watching their team for two years and now it's all the all the emotions just boiling over in one one event. But it got violent on a couple of occasions in storming the field um, in the past couple of days. And well, I'm going to start with the Everton one. I think the video that popped out with a fan getting in the face of Crystal Palace manager Patrick Vieira and Vieira responding by tackling the fan and kicking at him, and then all the Everton fans coming to the other fans' support. And then you look at another instance where Sheffield United, who got knocked out by Nottingham Forest in the uh, championship playoff, uh, Billy Sharp got headbutted by a Nottingham Forest fan that was storming the field. And I'm all for emotion. I'm all for, you know, expressing yourself. And I was raised on uh, SEC football. And uh, college football, where storming the field is, you know, it's a great event where you, you know, you do something unpredictable, something that wasn't supposed to happen, and you celebrate with all your, with uh, 50,000 of your closest friends. But when you're like this, and you're uh, going after coaches, you're going after players, that, in my opinion, has to be punishable. I don't know how, because I feel like it's harsh to punish Nottingham Forest with not getting promoted, or Everton with relegation. I don't think that's the right answer here, but just watching the emotion and the violence that happened as a result of something that should be a celebratory moment, it, it just it hurt to watch as a soccer fan. Kartik, before I share my opinion about pitch invasions, what what's your what's your take on pitch invasions in general? I, I think it's part of the emotion and it's part of uh, part of the game and uh we've had uh, uh I think the balance between uh kind of uh, uh, penning in supporters and not allowing them to express themselves at English grounds and, and, um, and the raw emotion of the game, the balance has been out of whack for a while. So 
I, uh, yeah, I, I c- uh, concur. I watched the, the Billy Sharp. I, the, the other thing I didn't find out until later last night, but the Billy Sharp thing I watched uh, as it was going on. So that was uh, – and that match, I, I want to get to that match in a minute anyway, But um, that second leg. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't condone attacking players and, uh, and coaches, opposing players and coaches, obviously. But uh, there's a raw emotion here. And I, and I think, uh, one, COVID did have an impact. Kyle's right about that. We saw – we've seen civil disobedience all over the world, really, since, since COVID restrictions were lifted. But secondly, I don't think most people in the United States and maybe a lot of newer fans in the U.K. understand – Everton Football Club and Nottingham Forest Football Club and the histories of those clubs and the supporters' relationship, working-class supporters in particular, their relationship with those football clubs. And I think for Everton supporters, uh, it's been – well, actually, for four supporters, it's been really bad because they've been out of the, the top flight for 20-some years, and they've seen Leicester, uh, one of their local rivals, win a title and win an FA Cup very recently and, and be uh, in Europe regularly very recently. And uh, – and for Everton, I, I know that some of the frustrations about how well Liverpool's doing. So um, I don't condone attacks, but I, I think it's part of the raw emotion. And I have no problem with pitch invasions as long as they're orderly and they're safe. It's part of the game. I love what Everton supporters were doing before matches at Goodison in this relegation fight, what they were doing away from home as traveling fans uh, to, to, to give their side that edge. And uh, it's part of the reason I have such a, a soft spot for Everton Football Club, to be honest with you. Yeah, so, so pitch, pitch invasions, I don't condone them, but I understand them in terms of why they happen. And I think it's one of those things that um, I posted a question. I tweeted out a question on, on Friday morning. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see all of the results yet. But the tweet was, I mean, and this was a serious question, is when was the last time there was a pitch invasion in MLS? Carter, can you think of any? <laughs> uh, I I I, I want to say there. <laughs> no, I can't offhand. I, I I think there may have been one at at some point with. Uh, uh, oh, you know what? No, 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 no. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of lower divisions. I'm thinking of Detroit City. No, in MLS, I don't think so. But I think part of that, Chris, is how um, how. The American professional sports culture, and Kyle rightly mentions the SEC, SEC football culture, and I would say ACC basketball culture. I've been, uh, I, I stormed the court once uh, at, at, uh, in Tallahassee when Florida State beat Duke, so I'm, I'm guilty. And, and then there was a technical foul, and I'm actually not a Florida State fan, but I, I hate Duke. And there was a technical foul, and because there was still 0.5 seconds left, and Duke got to shoot technical foul shots, it was a mess. But I think American sporting culture. Uh, Professional sporting culture is very heavy on security uh, in stadiums and preventing this sort of thing from happening. So even if you have that emotion, you've been trained to express it in a different way, yeah. uh, maybe after the match at a bar or, or, or whatever. Yeah, in a way, it's a shame that we're talking about some of these incidents because they were, I mean, just basically stupid idiots, right? There's, there's you mean, both in the, the Nottingham Forest Sheffield United game and the pitch invasion there and in the Everton Crystal Palace game. Uh, I mean, incidents involving two people, just just probably drunk, probably dumb, just making stupid, stupid, uh, violent acts. Um, however, the whole pitch invasion kind of uh, it, it does sum up 
just the passion and the meaning of these games and what it means. I mean, these uh, you look, look you look at some of these games in the last couple of weeks. You had Everton surviving in the Premier League for another season after beating Palace. Stuttgart uh, scored an injury time goal to stay up in the Bundesliga. What a, what a game that was! Nottingham Forest beat Sheffield United on penalty kicks to reach the Championship final. Port Vale beats uh, Swindon Town to reach the playoff uh, final for League Two. The thing that's a, a commonality among these, all those games were incredible games, emotional games, fantastic to watch. There were pitch invasions in every single one of those. So I, th- I think COVID's part of it in terms of just fans feeling kind of a sense of relief, but also at the heart of it, even if there wasn't, even if we didn't have the pandemic, I think we still would be in a situation where these fans would take the field. And yeah, absolutely. In terms of security, there was very little security in a lot of these games. They should have been expecting pitch invasions. Um, but as clubs have scaled back um, austerity measures in, in different countries where there's less uh, police kind of policing stadiums, uh, there's more of an opportunity to, to rush the field. And we've, we've seen it in the Bundesliga, too. It's almost like it's uh, actually yeah, oh, uh, and, welcomed. And France. France. Yeah, and France, it's been... Well, France has had bigger problems. But yeah, the Bundesliga, you're right, Chris. Uh, come to think of it, I think we've probably had more in the Bundesliga. Uh, but I think uh, it's highlighted now in England because of the Sharp incident and the uh, and the Vieira incident. And like I said, I saw the Sharp thing because they hadn't cut the feed right on ESPN+. Plus and I'm I'm, I'm still that match. I, as I said, I want to talk about it in, in a different context in a minute. But um, so that's terrible to see. And I don't know in Germany that they've had an incident like uh, the Billy Sharp or Patrick Vieira incidents. But it's been happening more often there. You're correct. Yeah, there's been quite a few where um, even teams staying up or, or actually it was one of the teams. Was it Freiburg qualifying for the Europa League and uh, the fans invading the pitch, uh, smashing up the goalposts, uh, cutting up the goal nets. And pitch invasion and, and the security, the stewards let them on the pitch. They were like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, it's, it's really kind of a party atmosphere there. Um, so, so I think, I mean, outside of the two violent incidents, which were horrible, I think for the most part, the pitch invasions, to me, show the meaning of these games. And, and, and to me, at the heart of it is promotion relegation, is, is the, the, what it means to teams, what it means to fans, uh, either staying up in a division such as Everton um, or trying to not get relegated. Uh, yeah, relegation is horrible. I mean, if you're a team that's, if you're, if you're a supporter of a team that's been relegated, it's a really horrible experience. I've gone through that many times. Cardiff, you've gone through it with Man City many times, but there's always that hope of, of coming back up. Yeah. And that's why I asked the question about MLS is like, when was the last time there was a pitch invasion in MLS? Are those games as meaningful to the fans? Yes, there's more security. Although lately, though, I don't know. I think if you go to any MLS stadium to watch a game, Security is not like it was back in, say, I don't know, the 80s or 90s or, or kind of in, in previous uh, uh, decades. Kyle, what, what do you think? Do you, do you think that promotion relegation is, you mean, from this past week uh, kind of shows the benefits of that when, when we've seen these games? Yeah, I do. Um, it's funny. I was looking at that tweet that you sent out, Chris, just before we started recording this. And someone actually replied, you know, when was the last time MLS had a meaningful game? And it's one thing to have a, a title race, which it's different in MLS just because they have the playoffs and, you know, the regular season ending. It doesn't mean as much as, say, the Premier League or the Bundesliga. But at the bottom of the table in Major League Soccer, if you're not going to make the playoffs, then frankly, who cares? You know, there's not any kind of 
punishment for finishing poorly. You know, you could rest some players. No, I injure your best player, you know, going into next season. I think promotion relegation, I've always been a big fan of it. Uh, coming to Major League Soccer, applying it to the lower leagues, and getting that whole kind of pyramid system going. I think it's how you develop the league. I think it's how you get the, the smaller towns, you know, I say smaller towns, but the uh, smaller clubs more involved and get a bigger fan base growing because people care about those things. I think looking at a club like, uh, like Leeds, you know, they have a, a strong history, but they're passion over the last couple of weeks regarding their relegation battle has been something to watch and the same thing applies to Everton and we see the same thing at Sheffield United and Nottingham Forest in the in the playoff uh, semifinals for the championship it makes things more important as you get later in the season when for a lot of clubs in MLS if you're not going to make the playoffs it's not that important of a time so I think it will help the league grow give it a little more enthusiasm a little more a little more pep in its step for a what could be the future? So one of the one of the uh, uh, Carter, Chris, let, me, let me just Chris, chime in for a second. I, I, I'll, I'll come, I'll come, okay, I'll come to you in a second. So one of the, the uh, comments we got from one of our listeners to um, on the website worldsoccertalk.com was from Ra, and Ra says, "I firmly believe that MLS will never be relevant without promo, uh, promotion relegation." So Kartik, I, I, I'm going to flip that question and, and send it over to you. But you mean, can MLS ever be relevant? It, and, and what and what will it take for it, that, that league to to be relevant? So I, I think it from a lower division angle, having worked in the lower divisions, mostly second division, right, for for much of uh, for much of the last fifteen years, uh, that I uh, it, there was a lack of relevance in our matches because uh, we weren't, no one was fighting for promotion. So what I was just about to chime in and say is that there, I was at a match in St. Pete in. Uh, 2014 or 2015 where the Rowdies finally beat the Cosmos and there had been this pent-up resentment and that's a rivalry that goes that that's a rivalry that predates anything in MLS right that was arguably the biggest rivalry in the old NASL so that's a rivalry that goes back to the 70s and I do think the Rowdies fans would have stormed the pitch that night at Al Lang if there hadn't been like really clear displays of security um lining uh the, the concourse but um, so you get into rivalries like that. Rowdies, Cosmos was for us in the NASL. Strikers, Cosmos, that sort of thing. Strikers, Rowdies, uh, because you don't have um, the promotion and relegation. I think once you have pro rel, all of these sort of uh, derbies, and they're not really derbies by a by a European definition, and all these kind of put on ways manufactured. Right? MLS has a rivalry week where they're like they're mixing and matching teams, right, to, to face each other in. A, a rivalry week where they sell a sponsorship to a sponsor to sponsor rivalry week. All of these sort of strange things go away and you don't have to be, the word is, inauthentic because that's what a lot of American soccer is when it comes to creating, um, trying to fuel passion and create passion over something that would be very natural if you had an open system. What I find interesting, though, too, like looking at this, so this past week is, I mean, if you're a soccer fan and, and you've watched any of these games, and there's a whole bunch of other games we haven't even mentioned that were just, just as crazy and, and exciting, uh, Hertha Berlin against Hamburg in, in the uh, the German uh, relegation promotion playoff, too, the, the, the first leg of that. And there's a whole bunch this weekend, and we'll talk about those in a little bit as far as what are, game, are games to watch this weekend. But I find it really interesting that if you look at some of the, the top U.S. soccer writers, 
they're completely ignoring all these games. It's as if they've, they're not watching them, which I'm sure they are, but they're, they're not even mentioning it. There's, there's very little mention of like, hey, did you see that Nottingham Forest? And, and what a story Nottingham Forest has been. This is an amazing story, but none of them are talking about it at all. Kartik, Why? <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, in fact, I think there's some resentment of uh, of uh, us talking about it so much among them. They want to create some sort of uh, uh, they, they, there's some sort of unwillingness to talk about promotion and relegation fights and talk about things that don't involve the massive clubs uh, in the U.S. among U.S. soccer media. They'll talk about Real Madrid. They'll talk about Barcelona. They'll talk about Liverpool, Man City, etc. But they don't want to talk about Forrest. They don't. Uh, they don't want to talk about the fact uh, Steve Cooper, and I was on TalkSport last night talking about this. How does the American audience view uh, Steve Cooper being at the bottom of the, uh, the foot of the table when he takes over Forrest and now they're on the cusp of promotion? And I was like, yeah, the American audience isn't aware of it. and They, they don't care. Um, I think they may have noticed the Everton thing, but based on American soccer writers, uh, they're not talking about it. And I think that there's uh, a um, there's a growing sense of... I, if it's insecurity or an inferiority complex. And I thought that we had conquered that as Americans. Look, I will readily admit, Chris, 15 years ago, when you and I first met, it's more than 15 years now, but whenever we first met, I had some of that. I was very insecure. I would force MLS into my narratives. I would force an angle of an American player playing in a third division in Germany into what I talked about. Uh, But I conquered that, as I think have most fans of the sport in this country. But among American soccer writers, there still seems to be a dependence on American narratives or narratives that involve Americans and insecurity about how American soccer or American uh, players are viewed in Germany, England, France, Spain, Italy. And that fuels a lot of this. And so there are obvious incredible storylines that don't involve Americans directly or may reflect poorly on the way the the game is played and administered in this country that they just won't touch. Yeah, my personal take on this is that I think that by them talking about it or discussing it or mentioning it, mentioning it they're not even mentioning it. It, it. it shows the inadequacy of MLS is that it's, uh, it's a league that looks very poor in comparison. I mean, you, you look at the championship and look how exciting it is. You look at the level of play. You look at all the different teams, the variety of teams, different playing styles, some really good coaching. From top down, it's a good league. It's a really good league. And I think by talking about second divisions and, and the, 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 the playoffs and the promotions and the relegations, uh, it really pinpoints the inefficiencies or de- deficiencies of Major League Soccer. Now, Kyle, I'm going to switch over to you for a second here, too, because Nottingham Forest is a club that... Kartik and I will know intimately. I mean, we're uh, you mean older, much older. Uh, so we know the histories of those clubs. We've watched them during all sorts of different decades, highs and lows, all of the stories. We've seen the films. We've watched the documentaries. We, we've talked about. We could talk for hours about just Nottingham Forest as an example. Kyle, as a younger soccer fan, as a younger American. And it's okay if you, if you don't know the background or the history, but, but what does Nottingham Forest say to you? And, and what's your level of interest in this club and, and what they're doing right now? Well, you guys talked about how they and how Nottingham Forest hasn't been in the top flight in over 20 years. 
And you got to look back for me watching soccer growing up. I'm, all I'm going to watch is the Premier League just because that's what's on uh, Fox or ESPN or NBC while I'm, while I'm growing up. So I didn't know too much about Nottingham Forest. Frankly, they were out of, the, out of sight, out of mind for me. All I knew about them was, hey, they won a couple of European Cups and they have more than all these major uh, English sides. And I always thought that was funny. Same thing with Aston Villa. And that was the only understanding that I had of Nottingham Forest. And as I've started to you know, grow my soccer watching portfolio and I started watching the championship, you get to know a little bit more about Nottingham Forest. But still, I don't know too much about them. It's kind of the same thing for Leeds. You know, before they got promoted back to the Premier League, I didn't really know too much about them. There's a YouTuber that I watch that supports Leeds, and that's what I would think about whenever I would watch uh, or hear about Leeds. So for Nottingham Forest, it's the same thing. You know, every time I would see Nottingham Forest, I would think, oh, that's a club that won a couple of European Cups. But I wouldn't think anything more about how they have one of the longest and uh, proudest histories in terms of English soccer, especially. And that's just that's my interpretation of Nottingham Forest. But I I think that'll change um, starting, you know, because I watched their game against uh, against Sheffield, both the, the both legs in the playoff semifinal. And so I think they're starting, you know, especially if they get promoted back to the Premier League, they'll, I'm sure, make a comeback and, you know, start to grow in terms of the younger audience's uh, knowledge in terms of what they've been able to accomplish in their history and where they'll be going uh, from there. Yeah, it's a shame, actually, in a way, for Huddersfield Town because they're the team that's that's doing really well, that's also in the final, uh, playing Nottingham Forest, and no one's really talking about them, although they should because they're a really good team. But Nottingham Forest, I mean, really is the Cinderella story here. Uh, Kartik and and th- let's go back to just that second leg of that Forest Sheffield United game, the pitch invasion. Um, one of the things I love about Nottingham Forest, as well as the playing style and the history and what the club stands up up for, uh, is is the fan base. The fan base in terms yeah. of the songs, the chants, the the Mulligan Tire, the all all the different songs that they sing. It reminds me of Leeds United because they are such a unique fan base, um, very passionate. But what about that second leg, Kartik? Yeah, and unlike uh, unlike Leeds United fans, they had a greater tolerance for Brian Clough coming to their club and uh, Peter Taylor coming to their club. <laughs> well, Peter Taylor didn't go to Leeds, that's right, but uh, but he did go. Obviously, Brian Clough went to Leeds. Uh, Mall of Kintyre, by the way, is sung because uh, Kyle mentions the European Cups they won. Uh, Paul McCartney wings, uh, it was also Denny Lane also co-wrote that song, so we have to call it a wing song, um, was the number one song in, in, in the U.K., for the year, the year that Nottingham Forest won uh, the league and then won the European Cup uh, the following year, so that's why they sing that song. There's a, there's a symbolism. It isn't just randomly, hey, it's a popular song, let's sing it. So there's a there's a meaning like there is with a lot of these supporters. So on the second leg, guys, I have to um, I have to talk about the officiating of Michael Oliver because this to me is a knock on effect from VAR. And obviously, when you have Stuart Robson as your co-commentator, he's going to point out every little thing that maybe I would have missed otherwise. Uh, well, every little thing that the referee is, because uh, he's that good, right? And he's that uh, uh, he's that willing to say the controversial things on air. But my sense in the extra time of that second leg, and, and I do think Sheffield United maybe can feel hard done by 
the way the balance of these calls went, and obviously uh, this match was at the city ground and, and maybe Forest fans, as you were talking about, Chris, uh, their passion influenced it. But I think Michael Oliver basically pulled out. It would be like a, a, a footballer pulling out of a, a critical tackle three or four times in a, in, in a critical stage of the match. I think there were decisions Michael Oliver didn't want to make because he's used to being bailed out by VAR in the Premier League, and there is no VAR in the championship. So he basically decided to keep his whistle uh, uh, in his, uh, out of his, his pocket. in his pocket, his cards in his pocket, a second yellow card potentially for Jack Robinson, a, uh, a sending off, potential sending off he missed, a potential penalty he didn't want, a penalty shout he didn't want any part of. Um, it was really, to me, illustrative. Uh, 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 the, the match was amazing as it was, right? And... Um, Kyle and Chris, you both talked about the passion and just how great that match was. But I think it also highlighted to me how VAR, and this is an unintended consequence, right? The advocates of VAR don't think about uh, how, it, how it affects the actual officials and how they proceed maybe in matches without VAR or how they, 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 it changes their routine. But I think this was a clear, the 30 minutes of extra time, a clear indication of how VAR has probably, not probably, in my opinion, definitely negatively affected uh, how Michael Oliver uh, calls matches and, his t- and his, he's become more tentative about things than he would, be, he would have been three years ago. So speaking of the championship and the, the threat of a team possibly being relegated to the championship, Kyle, what about this weekend? What's your match to watch this weekend? For me, and I know the headlines for NBC are all about you know Manchester City, Liverpool, but for me, the game I'm most interested in, the, the storyline I'm most interested in following is Leeds. So they, they travel to Brentford this weekend uh, for you know Championship Sunday or Relegation Sunday is the real threat for Leeds. Um, I've enjoyed watching Brentford, and I've enjoyed watching Leeds, and I'm sure some of that just comes from watching the passion. You know, Ellen Road for me has been... A special place to no, I haven't been there obviously, but it's been a special ground to watch over the last year because you look back at when Leeds was promoted, they had COVID, so there were no uh, fans there. But this season, with fans back in attendance, I think they've been a real joy to watch, especially with some of the late drama that uh, Leeds has been able to pull together over the last couple of weeks. So for me, it's all about the relegation battle. It's all about Brentford and Leeds, and I believe the other game Burnley is playing. I'm blanking on it right now. Newcastle. Um, Newcastle. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's my focus for me is the relegation battle. I think Everton, you know, they showed you what it's all about. They showed you the passion in it. And I think we're going to see a similar kind of emotion from Leeds or Burnley. And I think they're both on the road, which is kind of a shame. But uh, yeah, that should be a fun one for uh, to watch both those games, Brentford Leeds and uh, Newcastle Burnley. Yeah, and Leeds has to win this game. And, and it's probably against the worst team they could possibly face in, in that it's a team that's <laughs> fl- flying high, that's unstoppable, that's playing at home, that's playing for fun, and, and that's Brentford. So, you I mean, unless Brentford have already kind of packed their bags and already thinking about their uh, summer vacations, this is almost the impossible dream for Leeds United, but but we'll we'll cheer them on. We'll we'll hope that they can at least uh, get a win there, and, and even a win is not going to guarantee them safety either. So this is going to be so exciting. Kartik, what about you? 
Yeah, and, and just to add to that, uh, Brentford's supporters, you talk about supporters who are long-suffering and who are great supporters in West London. This match is going to be a celebration of them staying up in the Premier League. So, uh, and and uh, there's no side that lower division supporters loathe more than Leeds. So, I have a feeling it's a really bad uh, bad uh, situation for Leeds. So, hopefully Jesse Marsh can get something out of it and, and they can stay up. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Serie A same time or I think an hour later. Uh, Susualo, who is a very good team, uh, hosting Milan. Milan need a point to win the title, assuming Inter win their match. Uh, against Sampdoria, and I think this is going to be tougher than people expect. So my recommendation, guys, is actually to watch the second half because the first half you're going to be watching Leeds, as Kyle suggested, or, or uh, Burnley, or one of the one of those uh, relegation fights in the Premier League. But switch over to, to, to Paramount Plus at halftime or at, at halftime of that game, end of the Premier League matches, and watch this match. Yeah, and my tip for uh, watching that Championship Sunday, uh, which is a weird name, but that's what NBC calls it, is to watch it on Peacock and watch Goal Rush because that'll have all the action from all the games, whip around show. But but my game to watch this weekend, my recommendation is... Atletico Tigre against uh, Boca Juniors uh, in the Copa de la Liga final from Argentina, uh, 3 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday on uh, Paramount Plus in English and then Fanatis in Spanish. And uh, looking forward to this uh, final, which uh, I believe is played at um, uh, Cordoba, which is, I, th- I think, uh, Mario Kempis is uh, the stadium that's named after him. So, so that one's definitely going to be my recommendation. Looking at TV streaming news, uh, earlier this week, uh, there was an announcement uh, from Fox where they did their upfronts, which is their uh, basically their pitches to the, the different advertising companies out there saying like, hey, look at all these great programs we have coming up in the next year. This is why you should advertise with us. And part of that announcement was um, naming Clint Dempsey as their new Fox soccer soccer analyst, and uh, he's going to be joining them for the coverage of World Cup 2022. Uh, Clint is still going to be working at CBS Sports, so he's going to be doing double duty um, at CBS Sports. He'd be doing most of the CONCACAF games. Um, there's some games this this uh, this June actually in the CONCACAF Nations League. But for Dempsey, this is this is a huge move, and I think actually my take on this is that he's he's going to be a good fit for Fox because he's all American. But at the heart of it, and I hope this stays true for his time at Fox, is he's been a little bit um, more balanced in his analysis about the U.S. men's national team. So in previous broadcasts on CBS Sports, when they've had the U.S. games. Uh, usually Charlie Davis and, and Aguchi Onoeu are in the tank for the U.S. men's national team. Just, just I mean, Muadutu, just talking about you know, how great they are and like this is going to be wonderful. And then Clint's the one that says, like, yeah, okay, that, that's good, but th- th- we're missing a number nine. Uh, we have issues in terms of the playing style. I mean, I, I don't think this is the right approach, those types of things. So I, I hope that – I hope and pray <laughs> that Clint Dempsey remains that – not contrarian but at least more balanced in his analysis when he does go to Fox and he doesn't get sucked into kind of the Fox uh, rah-rah USA machine. All right, next uh, news item is that Univision and Tuduene have announced that they've renewed the rights to the Gold Cup and the CONCACAF Champions League in Spanish. And last but not least, I'm going to mention this one just because it did come up this week. And and Kyle, I'll go to you on this one. But... um, 
Leo Messi, there was uh, news this week uh, from South America. One of the reporters there mentions that Messi uh, might be going to into Miami uh, and for his share of 35% of the uh, kind of shares in into Miami. And this is going to happen. I, I, I wonder, what, what, what's your take on this one, Kyle? You think this is a good move? You think this is a, a smart move? And, and do you think this is actually a, a, a real thing that's going to happen? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I think that the part of Messi receiving 35% of Inter-Miami makes it a little bit too outlandish for me to fully believe. And I'll preface this by saying uh, I'm a Messi fan. I'm a Barcelona fan, so I'm going to support any move he does. I still think that he still has the ability to perform in Europe for a couple more years. But I do think eventually towards the twilight of his career, he will end up in MLS. As much as I might like to see him go back to Argentina and you know, go back to his home country and play for a little bit there. I think that this reported deal is just a little bit too much to believe because 35% of Inter-Miami, I don't know how much the club is worth in the present market, but um, that's a lot of money for a player, especially for a club that is only in its, what, second or third season in Major League Soccer. They're still growing. They're still developing. Obviously, they haven't had too much on-field success and they're giving up so much to one player. And I also think it's weird the fact that I'm sure this has happened before in some example that I couldn't think of off the top of my head, but having a player who owns a part of the entire organization play on the team, and I get that it's messy, and I get that his draw is expansive, and he's going to be able to bring in millions of viewers because they support Messi or Barcelona or whatever. But it's just so much for one player, and I don't know how much he'll be able to provide to Inter-Miami that I'll actually provide them success on the field. I'm sure it'll help a little bit, but for thirty for 35% of the entire club, it just seems like a lot. And the fact that it's at the end of his PSG contract, which expires at the end of the 22-23 campaign, it's all just a lot, and it's a lot in the future. I don't know how much I believe it. Um, it's it's weird. That's my, that was my first opinion was that I just thought it was weird to read and it was weird to think about Messi receiving 35% of Inter-Miami. Yeah, I think in many ways that, that the uh, this is something that uh, any reporter that has an opportunity to kind of uh, has, has a way to, to speak to the public. And if he or she drops a, a news item or kind of a, hey, I've heard this uh, from a source that uh, Messi... Uh, is going to enter Miami for a share of thirty five percent of the uh, the club, uh, guaranteed. I mean, that's going to create headlines. So I think a lot of it too. I think to me is um, basically sensationalism. It, it's trying to generate clicks, trying to generate uh, publicity for that particular reporter and for that network, and and they know that people will read it. And this is a story that that broke, and then everyone worldwide went crazy over it. I think the timing is interesting in terms of um, MLS still uh, negotiating the TV rights deal. 
And the timing of this has definitely, I'm sure, raised some eyebrows. And I'm sure Apple TV is probably thinking about this, thinking, okay, wow, if we sign up for this one, maybe we will get messy as part of the the deal where you can just imagine the TV ratings and the actual number of tickets would be sold to, to games. So I think it's going to happen at some point um, when we're not sure. But that 35% number was kind of, to me, like a red flag to say, like, you know, this is this is a BS story, really. This is kind of sensationalism. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. And first up is Nick, who has some questions about uh, streaming. Nick says, uh, big fan of the podcast. I just had a couple of questions regarding the upcoming UEFA Nations League and AFCON qualifiers in June. Fox Sports picked up the rights to the UEFA Nations League from ESPN. And I was wondering if there was any information about their plans for streaming the matches. ESPN was great because they had all the games archived on ESPN+. Plus. So I could always go back and watch old games. Not sure if Fox Sports is planning on this, and I'm not holding my breath. Uh, Also, AFCON 2023 qualifiers kick off in a couple of weeks, and I was wondering if anyone had picked up the rights. I think ESPN had the rights last time around, but I haven't seen anything for this edition. So, Nick, good questions. Um, AFCON 2023 qualifiers are going to be on BN Sports. So you'll be able to watch those games um, starting, I think, June 1st, I think it is. But the first week of June onwards on, on BN Sports and BN Sports Connect. UEFA Nations League. Um, so, yes, FS1 is going to be broadcasting those games, uh, select games on television. Um, so if you go to our website, worldsoccertalk.com, and then click on TV schedules in the main navigation, uh, you'll see near the bottom, it'll say UEFA Nations League TV schedule. And in there, it has all the, the games listed and uh, who's showing what. Uh, in regards to streaming for the UEFA Nations League, and there's some big games coming up. Um, Germany plays England. Italy plays Germany. France plays Croatia. Uh, there's some big games in, in June, so a lot to look forward to. Streaming details have not been announced yet. We do know that Fubo is going to be broadcasting or streaming some of these games exclusively. We just don't know which games yet. So as soon as we get that information, um, we'll update that schedule, and I'm sure we'll write a story about it too. All right, miscellaneous. Uh, some some Dave's got some good feedback here from uh, uh, the last podcast, and he says, um, how did you find the U.S. Open Goalcast? I heard during a game... Uh, that Hercules was running a whip-around commentary. I checked ESPN Plus quickly, but did not see it. So, so Dave, on that one, yeah, no, great question. And this one, luckily, this time I was able to find it because sometimes when I go into ESPN Plus and I'm looking for something specific, especially if it's um, Football Americas, it's hard to find. It takes a lot of digging and searching and down the here and over here and left, right. So this one, luckily, when I went into it... Um, it was near the top. It was listed, and I just clicked on it. So I, I was lucky on that one. Dave goes on to say that your comments on Fox streaming seem at odds with um, Lachlan's, uh, Lachlan Murdoch's uh, public comments. Murdoch stated a strategy of 2B um, for a- AVOD and linear for major sports and news. I did not take away that he opposes streaming. He brags about 2B results and potential, but that seems major live events fitting better with linear for now if they lose mls does fox have any rights uh, sports rights that are sufficiently niche to be streaming only maybe some car races i agree with your caution that fox risks being left behind if they don't uh, ever pivot 
So in regards to that, uh, Dave, good questions again. So w- what I meant by that was that it wasn't that Fox hates streaming, although I did say that. It, it basically is saying that you know, with Fox not having a streaming product of their own other than FoxSports.com or the Fox Sports app, um, it's it's a weaker player, and it, most of those games that they do have are on television, and then they have to partner with someone like Fubo for the streaming side of things. Yeah. Interestingly, um, go ahead, Kartik, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I think the Lachlan part is directed actually at my comments. So uh, what happened with the kind of breakup between Lachlan and James, although they had obviously a sibling rivalry for the company for years, but James was much more bullish in 2017 and 2018 on streaming. And part of the Disney-Fox deal, uh, which we know Fox sold so many assets to Disney, right? It it affected our sport. It affected soccer uh, as well. Is that uh, Disney had a vision for streaming that they had built out in 2016 and 2017 when they had uh, previously, when they had um, invested in in BAMTech, right? Baseball, Major League Baseball Advanced Media, and had started building their streaming platforms to launch Disney Plus in 2018 and launch ESPN Plus in 2018 that... um, that Fox didn't have that same vision. And James, unlike his brother, James Murdoch, unlike Lachlan, shared that vision that Disney had, that Bob Iger had at Disney. Now we are four years on from that. So I do think it's possible Fox sees they're being left behind and, and Lachlan wants to pivot. But my, my sense is that they, they uh, were very conservative about this, very traditional about this, uh, Lachlan and his father. And they are now getting left behind. And to be uh, not showing live events, live streaming events, does leave them behind where Disney is and where everybody else in the space is. Yeah, no, that's a good point, Kartik, because Fox uh, uh, also said this week in that upfronts that it will put its World Cup games, uh, the archive, on demand on Tubi. So it's not not live games on, on Tubi, but but uh, replays on demand of the World Cup uh, on Tubi, um, which might mean that you, you wouldn't need a cable subscription to watch those replays. But the issue I have with Tubi is that uh, because it's advertising supported, it's a good likelihood that you're going to have commercials, uh, just as we saw with uh, BN Sports Extra commercials during games and if you're watching it on demand and you're you're in the 11th minute and all of a sudden it breaks to a commercial and it comes back and and you've missed like like two or three minutes of the game that's not a good viewing experience um so maybe they would start it back off uh, start as you come back from commercial maybe you begin you continue at the 11th minute but still that breaks up the continuity of watching the match so so that's not a perfect scenario either um, it's funny though too with Fox because it always reminds me of uh, the uh, the show Succession on HBO, uh, which I'm sure is modeled a lot after the Murdoch family in terms of kind of the uh, the, the the siblings and, and and kind of the power grabs. Oh, to- totally! It's totally the Murdoch family. And then Dave finishes off. It says, "Interesting to hear your thoughts on uh, 538's um, soccer power index. Uh, sounds like I may be more of a fan of their work than you are. Soccer is such a high variance sport that it is nice to nice to have predictive metrics based on more than just final scores. The age old debate of uh, resume uh, or a resume versus potential." Um, all models are wrong, but some are useful, and that is why they play the game. Yeah, my my issue with 538 more so goes back to, I think it was the 2014 World Cup, where they had the predictive analysis about who would reach the final, 
And uh, World Soccer Talk at the time had our own predictive uh, analytics in terms of who was going to reach the, the semifinal and the final. And our numbers ended up being uh, more accurate than 538s. And of course, there's a lot of weight put on 538 in terms of everything that they do. But I saw a huge hole in their data based on that. And ever since, I've kind of really uh, taken the numbers with a, with a grain of salt. Yeah, I think uh, I think in, in terms of what I said about their model, I don't necessarily uh, I don't have any basis of, 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 of comparison. But I do think it's a it's a little odd that. Basically, every team in one league, uh, their SPI will be higher than every team in another league, right? And that was the oddity. And my, my own personal experience is in, is in politics, and we built a better model at the Florida Squeeze to predict Florida elections than 538 has. But uh, that having been said, I do kind of agree with Dave because I do think it's good to have the metric. It's good to have some sort of reference point that factors in every competition to a team's, um, to a team's relative strength because – the thing we have now is we don't have. If you look at the Premier League table or the Championship table or the uh, uh, or the table in the Bundesliga, it doesn't factor in cup matches. It doesn't factor how those clubs have done in Europe. It doesn't factor uh, in so many things that may uh, maybe need as a fan as a predictive model. Uh, the thing though that has happened with SBI is it got so laughed off the ESPN. <laughs> FC show, right? I mean, Dan Thomas would make jokes about it endlessly. <laughs> um, I think it did get a bad rap from that, and I shared many of uh, Dan Thomas and the crew's critiques, but I also agree with Dave. I think it is, uh, it is useful to have. It's just, and I agree with his analysis that most of these predictive models are wrong, but some are less wrong than others. So that, that's kind of, uh, kind of where I stand. Next, uh, we've got some uh, feedback about MLS. Uh, Noah says, I would just like to shout out to whoever provided that tip a while back about getting around MLS streaming geolocks by using Hulu instead of going to ESPN Plus directly. Since then, I have been much more likely to tune into Philadelphia Union games and MLS in general. I don't really understand why games are geolocked anymore with streaming in the first place, but I certainly appreciate this easy workaround. Uh, Kronos says, uh, geolocking is the main reason I don't watch much MLS. Can't watch my local team, uh, the Colorado Rapids, without getting cable, and it's not 1994, so I don't have cable. Happy to pay to watch, but not if it means I have to get cable. All the other big leagues except NFL do the same thing. Nuggets, Rockies, and Avalanche are almost always uh, blacked out. And as a result, I've lost interest in teams I can't watch. Not sure how these leagues expect to build a fan base this way, especially since a few young people have cable. It is the definition of penny-wise, pound-foolish, although I realize there are a lot of pennies in regional sports networks for now. Kyle, so you're a fan... I, as I as I understand it, Kyle, of the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are doing very, very well in NHL. H- how does it work for you uh, living kind of in the Tampa Bay area as far as blackouts? Are you able to watch every um, every game if you want to? First of all, Chris, I want to thank you for remembering that I'm a Lightning fan. We're recording this on a Friday, and I don't know if you guys followed the NHL playoffs at all, but the Lightning won uh, with a goal in the last five seconds last night, so... That was very thrilling, and it was very nice. That's probably why I might be a little hoarse today. But uh, the in terms of regional sports networks, it's the only reason I have cable here is to watch the Rays and the Lightning. Everything else, I go through you know any kind of streaming or like Fubo TV, for example. But obviously, that doesn't carry a Bally Sports Sun here, which is what we use to watch the uh, the Rays and the Lightning. It 
it it's awful. I hate it. I hate that I have to use it as much as I love the commentators that are on Bally Sports with the Rays and the Lightning. I it's just it makes it a lot harder. It's obviously a lot more expensive to have two options. I, mean, I understand that we don't have to have both Fubo and cable, but um, just I I wish there were a way that you know regional sports networks could be on like a streaming platform. That's uh, just that's my one beef with the the regional sports networks is that I can't watch it if uh, if I don't have cable. And uh, that's uh, as much as I love watching the Lightning and the Rays. I it's not it's almost not worth the uh, the extra the extra funds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. All right, moving on. Uh, next up is Daniel. Daniel says, uh, "Good evening, Chris and Kartik and Kyle. I have a question. It's a long one, so I apologize in, in advance." These relegation battles in the Premier League have shown me once again that open systems work. Everton is fighting so hard, and watching them lose at Brentford the past weekend shows the excitement of open leagues. Maybe in other leagues it isn't as entertaining, but in England it has my undivided attention. Now, my question is: What is the point of watching American soccer? I don't mean that in a way of uh, I don't mean that in a way of being cynical. It's just a general question. America tr- even tries to be like England, calling our leagues USL Championship, USL League One, USL League Two. Heck, I'm shocked they don't even call the MLS uh, the American Premier League. As a fan I, uh, of soccer, I find it very frustrating that FIFA has done nothing to keep the integri- integrity of promotion relegation present in the United States. I also have supported my local ta- my local team three times. I watched the reincarnated New York Cosmos die. I watched New Amsterdam FC die. Now I am on the Long Island Rough Riders that currently play in USL League 2 because they play about 15 minutes from my house. That team has been around since the 1990s, but they always have been a semi-pro team that is more paid to play for kids rather than an actual pro team. I watch the New York Red Bulls from time to time since that's my original local team in quotation marks. But again, what's the point? A New York team that plays in New Jersey. Players uh, being promoted and relegated seem to be the only thing that happens here. This is why I stopped watching American sports for the most part, besides college sports, because the atmosphere resembles that of soccer, more authentic and genuine rather than a manufactured defense and let's go blank team, whatever the team name is. That's just my take. What are your thoughts and what do you think about Americans supporting teams overseas rather than supporting our local teams using my whole experience as an example? Whew. <laughs> Kartik. Uh, Daniel is not an alias for me, but I could have written that same exact uh, uh, th- that same exact thing. I totally agree with every word he's written. Uh, one one brief correction: the Long Island Rough Riders were a professional team tw- uh, 25 years ago. In fact, a uh, number of players, Mike Petke, uh, uh Jim Rooney, uh, John Walniak, played for them. They have now relegated all the way to USL League 2, which kind of tells you then they were a second division team in those days. Tells you how this closed league system works is because you can't get promoted to the, quote, Premier League or MLS in this case, you end up uh, having diminishing returns with your business model. And you either go out of business, as uh, he references the New York Cosmos and New Amsterdam have, although New Amsterdam 
Cunningham had a very strange owner. Uh, but that still, they went out of business. The reality is they're not playing. Um, or you self-relegate. And in the case of the Rough Riders, they've self-relegated uh, two divisions. Now, I'm in the same boat. Uh, I think many of the listeners know this. I have worked for teams that have gone out of business. I have supported teams that got, have gone out of business. I've supported, uh, I think I counted five or six uh, clubs that no longer play. Okay, and then the other uh, uh, club that I still support is a club that I worked for that was in the second division. It had to go down to the fourth division because of governance issues with USSF, and then had to move to the third division. Now they're back in the USL Championship, which is Miami FC. So, uh, yeah, I totally and and none of this was based on promotion and relegation. We had filed a, a, a cast claim, our club, uh, to try and open up the American system, and uh, we didn't get the ruling we wanted at. at at uh, the CAS. But um, yeah, I totally agree with everything Daniel says. It's very, it's very manufactured. I can't watch closed leagues, uh, which is why I continue to support, like, like him, American college sports. I'm really into that still. It's atmospheres are authentic. As Kyle mentioned at the beginning of the show, SEC football very much like the Premier League in terms of its atmospheres and, and its relevance and traveling fans and all of those sorts of things that you don't get in American pro sports. And to me, a lot of American pro sports are like inner office games, right? It's like the branch office in uh, Tampa playing the branch office in New York. I mean, it's, it's like, to me, it's not very interesting. Intramural games. I, it, it's interesting. That's the right term. That's the right term. Thank you. I mean, that's what I meant. <laughs> it, it's interesting, though, too, because if you look at any Alexi Lannis's tweets, and, and I don't follow Alexi because it's just after a while, I guess, just uh, too much. But whenever the, the the question of promotion relegation comes up, and, and oftentimes he takes uh, questions from the, uh, the his followers, is the first thing he would say is like, well, what do you want? Do you want a, a system where clubs go out of business and you have like LA Galaxy and New York Red Bulls and all these uh, teams going out of business because uh, the billionaire owners uh, even get the, the team gets relegated when the reality is that you've got so many lower league teams that have gone out of business in this country in the last well definitely 20 years but you go back for the 100 years how many teams how how many tombstones are there of teams that have set up and then died and they've died because there is no open system there's no opportunity for them to move to whatever level they're at to move up the ranks through to the very top. So it really suffocates the, the lower uh, division soccer in this country. I think we're at a point, really, to be completely honest with you, where Major League Soccer is probably at its most um, difficult position in the history of this league, because now I think the gig is up. Now, with having access to as many games as possible from around the world, there are more options than ever before in this country. And because there's so many options, there's interesting storylines. Um, there's, again, relegation promotion. We've seen from, you mean, the, the passion on, on the field, the passion from the commentators, the players, the pitch invasions, all these things, because they have meaning. And I think at this point in time, MLS has... Pro- probably the least meaning that the league has ever had, even at the same time that there's more teams expanding. Now, I will say, again, if you are a MLS fan or a fan of an MLS team and you live in Atlanta or Seattle or Kansas City or Los Angeles or Charlotte or Orlando or Miami, any of these cities, Toronto, etc., 
it's great. It's a great night out. It's a great night out to support that team. Go to your local club uh, and watch those games and cheer on your team. My issue is kind of really the, the national perspective or, or the North American perspective for U.S. and Canada is that these games are, are not meaningful in a national context. On a local level, yes. On a national level, you're competing against the rest of the world and you can't compete under its present situation in terms of the, week, the, the way that the league is structured. Um, and promotion relegation may not be the answer. If anything, it could be blowing up the whole system and starting it all over again with more of a meaningful uh, platform to actually build upon in terms of the way that the teams are set up. And it's not a single entity. We don't need that anymore. This is not 1996 or 1998. Uh, we don't need a single entity anymore. You mean So, all right, I'll get off my soapbox. K- Kyle, anything else to add on, on that uh, topic? I think it's interesting to talk about how going to like a major league soccer game is a night out. And I think that's so true of American sports. I remember watching uh, Mark Cuban talk about the Dallas Mavericks, and he said, you know, you're not going to remember, you know, a cert- most of fans won't remember, like, a certain shot or a certain play, but they'll remember the experience. So when he took over the Dallas Mavericks, he said, I just wanted to turn it into an experience, not necessarily a sports team. And he said that's where the future of American sports was going. And it's such a different take on the European sports. And it's so true regardless of NBA or NHL, MLB, NFL. All these American sports, and MLS included, they're just centered around, like you say, having a night out. And uh, I've, I've go to a lot of uh, Tampa Bay Lightning games, and, you know, hockey, in my opinion, and it's a biased opinion, you know, a lot of fans are there for the team. You know, Max Kellerman said there's 20,000 fans that support hockey in each city, and they all have season tickets. So you go to a game, and, you know, they are a little more involved, especially compared to the NFL, which I'm a fan of, but... Man, the fans there, they just, oh, they're just bland. And uh, so, uh, yeah, so I don't know if it's something that is necessarily a Major League Soccer issue. I think it's more something that just applies to American sports in general. The fact that going to a, an, an event live is an experience rather than going to support an actual team. Yeah, definitely good points there, Kyle. Uh, we'll finish up too. Just a, a couple of quick comments here too about uh, U.S. Open Cup. Uh, uh, Roberto says, uh, "I just looked at, at at the matchups for the next round of the U.S. Open Cup. There is still a chance for a USL team to advance. The games um, recently showed why not too many advance. There were three to four giveaways by the goalkeeper or defenders that led uh, directly to goals. All in all, the games were entertaining. Seattle disappointed me once again. Still resting most starters instead of maybe going for the." triple uh while with the world cup the mls season is compressed and by august and september uh there'll be two games every week what will they do then and then jason says i'm disappointed that no lower division team in the u.s beat a mls team in the fourth round a usl team making the quarterfinals looks very slim now uh, let alone the semifinals or final so, listeners, uh, we've covered a lot of topics on, on uh, this episode on a whole range of different subjects. So, uh, let us know your feedback. We'd love to read out your comments on air. You can reach us through the website um, in the comments section at worldsoccertalk.com for the podcast, as well as by email. The email address is web at worldsoccertalk.com. We're on Facebook. You can always message us through there. So, facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. And, of course, um, on Twitter, at World Soccer Talk. 
you can message us there too and just let us know if it's a comment for for the podcast and we'll uh, save that for the next episode uh kyle what's your uh, twitter handle so people can follow you there my twitter handle is at kyle fansler uf you know because i went to florida very proud that i went there <laughs> okay. and and kartik what are you proud of and what's your twitter handle uh kkfla737 it's uh, fla because i live in florida so and i went to uf also actually like kyle so kkfla737 and, and the 737 is in regards to an airplane um it was because when i first set up my email accounts 25 years ago when i was actually at uf uh, I there one two three they were all taken so I just said ah what's something I'll remember ah airplane seven three seven so it's not that I like the seven three seven I kind of do I, mean, I was flying Southwest a lot at the time so they were all seven three sevens but yeah it's Florida and seven three seven there you go and it's easy to remember uh, mine you can reach me at the gaffer uh, or at the the main account which is uh, at World Soccer Talk. All right, listeners, um, this has been a fun episode. Thank you for uh, staying with us throughout uh, the entire season. Uh, Yes, the Premier League is ending this weekend, as is uh, Serie A, um, but there's so much more to look forward to. It's going to be a really busy summer. Uh, We've got a ton of teams coming uh, in person. We've got teams, uh, Barcelona, Manchester City, Bayern Munich. um, So you've got Barcelona, Man City, you've got your your guys' uh, teams, guys. And then also Chelsea, Arsenal, uh, Paderborn. I mean, there's a ton of teams coming. We have to mention Everton Everton, because we've been talking about Everton all episode. (laughs) I know, we didn't. All right, Kartik, uh, I'll let you uh, lead us out on this podcast. Enjoy your football.